Club Cosmos Radio. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm feeling the midsummer slowdown in a very peaceful way. Yep. And that's kind of reflective of how we're going to approach this episode this yeah. week. <laughs> this is just going to be a little bit of a cancer season mixtape, if you will. A, a mood board, a collage yeah. of all things cancer. A casual charcuterie. Yeah, exactly. But there are some current events to attend to. (laughs) I know. I mean, just got the breaking news about Madonna. Yes, Madonna. It came out now, but the incident happened last week that she was hospitalized for some bacterial infection and will be postponing her world tour, Mm -hmm. to which we say... First, get well soon, Madonna. Mm-hmm. Second of all, Venus retrograde shadow period has begun. Yeah, she's very Leo. And Mars would have been conjunct her son probably exactly last week in the 12th house of mysterious <laughs> infections. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... That part scares me. I don't want to, I don't want any kind of like real big star loss. No, no, but I mean, it's like, there's been, I feel like we have to do the, the quick scroll through all of the other Venus in Leo shadow period drama that's been coming. If you listen to our Venus in Leo episode, we kind of laid down uh, the astrologer Mark Dagan Best's exhaustively researched findings on Venus retrograde periods, which is that in the shadow period of a Venus retrograde, which means when Venus is still direct, but going over the parts or the degrees that it's going to be revisiting when it goes retrograde, mm-hmm. the new cycle really starts heating up. There are scandals, there's drama, there's big global events, a.k.a. all of these fucking awful Supreme Court rulings today that basically will set the tone for what we're going to be reckoning with during the retrograde period. Consensus breaking events, and because we've got a Venus in Leo retrograde, there's some celeb drama as well, a.k.a. Madonna's infection. Sorry, girl. (laughs) It fits in line with what he describes in terms of breaking the consensus and just dealing with the outcome of that in our culture. You know, basically dismantling affirmative action, more anti-gay legislation, absolutely crushing the hope that student loan forgiveness could happen. Mm -hmm. The tone of it feels incredibly Pluto and Capricorn. Yeah, Once again. Pluto and Mars can both get very desperate <laughs> yeah <laughs> in their actions in their in their declarations of power we're at the very 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 end which we've talked about <laughs> still another year plus yeah of yeah. Pluto and Capricorn but when you consider it's been happening since 2008 we're close <laughs> yeah yeah if that part's scary is those desperate attempts for control and power while we're also coming into 
these new eclipses in Aries and Libra and the South Node being in Libra and Libra's yeah. justice and femininity and peace. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's it's not, Node. it doesn't feel great. Yeah. But it is something where I, I guess the only thing I can welcome is a return to a sense of urgency about mm-hmm. defending the things that we care about. It's disappointing, but not surprising. This has been the tone and tenor of the last, I don't know, six years, eight years. Yeah. When does it boil over? Well, that makes me think a lot of the overlap or the transition period when Pluto or any big planet, but especially Pluto, dips in and out of a new sign the tension just keeps rising Mm -hmm. because you get a little taste of the other thing and to come back to what it's been traversing through for so long again this Capricorn part it makes that look even more desperate Mm -hmm. and even more outdated I'm trying to remember the sentiment of 2007 into 2008 when Pluto went from Sag to Capricorn I mean obviously Obama was elected and that was a big yeah, that Push. was really idealistic. And but I guess Obama came later or like was later in the narrative of it. He was post recession. It's like the lame duck presidency of the end mm-hmm. of like George W. Bush. And we're hoping for this bright new world. Like the in and out period, I think, was just really the the bubble bursting in the right. real estate market. Right. Here's how we can just play little math games to like create a bunch of wealth and a bunch of debt that yeah. banks are going to profit off of. And then Lehman Brothers went under the day Pluto went into Capricorn. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, Pluto and Aquarius, we, we haven't even had an episode on it yet, which we will eventually, I'm sure, but... The last time Pluto was in Aquarius was the French Revolution. We have all those protests in France right now, too. But the French Revolution and the American Revolution was part of it, too. Hi. Um, <laughs> There's a cat in the room. I think we're going to have to let the cat out of the pond. <laughs> Yeah, so Pluto, it tends to really bring something into focus in kind of a crisis way mm-hmm. because it's going to completely transform it but part of that is is magnifying it it's like the archetype I always think of as like the detective it's <laughs> looking at the evidence yeah and with Pluto and Aquarius we do start to get kind of obsessed with progress right and so for the Supreme Court to literally be these old Saturnian dusty <laughs> people determining yeah even if they're the young motherfuckers that yeah, like Trump put in they <laughs> yeah. have very old and dusty attitudes yeah. <laughs> they really want to turn this country into a Christian theocracy yeah <laughs> it makes me wonder what it's gonna feel like when Pluto really goes into Aquarius full-time well it's interesting like you really sparked something for me just thinking about the transition period I'm remembering the Citizens United decision, which happened, it was argued in 2009 and decided in 2010. So right on this line, but it feels so fateful. It was like the decision that basically that changed campaign finance reform mm-hmm. forever and basically invited a pool of shadow money into politics that could never be traced and never be seen again. That was at the beginning of Pluto in Capricorn. It's like an addition to all of just like the way it's affecting the 
well, just like the financial markets, that really set the tone for the political fallout uh, and like where we are now with these ideological puppets in charge. They're like little NASCAR racers with their little sponsorship badges all over them <laughs> doing politics in yeah. the name of whoever wrote them a check. All politicians fucking gross me out, man. Even even the quote unquote good ones, it takes a really craven impulse to be a politician. <laughs> I know. We're gonna have to do an episode on on the yeah. astrology of major politicians because it's a particular kind of drive yeah. for notoriety under the guise of values. The acapella to politics yeah. <laughs> pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> I, we were watching and just like that season two and after this last episode mac was like all right trump's getting re-elected <laughs> but on a much more elemental in terms of the jupiter and taurus headlines we saw that cottage cheese is coming back <laughs> among gen z <laughs> i'm ready to see it in a new light i'm ready for tiktok to Turn me on to some hot new cottage cheese <laughs> recipes. Speaking of which, this is like a huge Venus and Leo shadow period story. All these influencers that Shein sent to their fucking oh, fake factory in yeah. China blew up in their face. If you haven't heard of this, it's Shein fast fashion giant known for their absolutely diabolical labor practices mm -hmm. and insanely cheap clothing that, you know, the like rapid pace trend cycle of the Neptune and Pisces era couldn't exist without the crimes against humanity of the yeah. fast fashion industry. Oh, and planet Earth, um, <laughs> <laughs> by the way. Because <laughs> Shein is, is expanding like crazy as well. And no one can get enough of these $3 <laughs> shirts or whatever. Evil. So they sent a bunch of um, cooperative, yeah. <laughs> let's say, influencers on TikTok to their quote-unquote factory in China so they could see how amazing it is. It's like an absolutely staged and not real factory. Mm -hmm. It's like a showroom, essentially. Yeah. But this group of influencers, including So Venus and Leo Vibes, a confidence activist, <laughs> as it says in her, her Chiron, they're all getting absolutely roasted. Yeah. <laughs> Which feels like Saturn starting to yeah. Saturn starting to knock on the door of the whole influencer and fast fashion bakery. Bakery. So one of our dear listeners named Lindsay wrote us such a sweet little email. And hi Lindsay. And <laughs> in it she asked us about Dennis Rodman's chart. And it's what do you one. have to say about the worm? <laughs> it's, it's a good one because of what we were talking about with the Neptune and Pisces episode that came out. He has Neptune on the Midheaven. Neptune on the Midheaven always makes a larger-than-life celeb. Yeah, fame, notoriety. Yeah. He's a double Taurus, Taurus sun and moon and a Capricorn rising. He's a, he's got a, like a whole cuckoo platter of a chart. <laughs> it's yeah. like really all over the place, which kind of makes sense. Like he has Gemini Mercury, which I felt like there had to be some kind of Gemini <laughs> yeah. in there. He's got sun and moon in Taurus and he is so feather boa on the one hand. Mm -hmm. His Venus in Aries and his Mars in Leo, I feel like 
adds to just his fabulous gender bending. The glitter, the boas, the makeup. There's just something so progressive about uh, Venus in Aries that mm -hmm. doesn't give a fuck about your expectations for their performance and can somehow be like so extra mask and beautiful mm -hmm. inside of a really fabulous and frilly little outfit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a bell sleeve. Yeah, <laughs> the feminine planet in the masculine sign. Venus rules Taurus, so Venus is especially important for him. And Venus and Aries, I love. It's so, so punk. punk. Yeah, yeah, it's so um, Vivian Westwood vibes. Yeah, but it's cool because it's mixed with the very even keeled, kind of slow, campy way that he is in Taurus <laughs> and, yeah. and a Capricorn rising. Like he obviously is successful because he's very good. Yeah. It's not just pure rebellion. Well, yeah, it's like in the last dance, they just talk about how he would just basically be like out all night. Like he'd be yeah. like in Atlantic City fucking gambling until dawn. And then he'd come and just absolutely destroy. I feel like that really plays with his balance of earth sign and fire sign energy. But it's like, of course, he was like incredibly notorious. And it's like, yeah, he had gambling problems. The wheels kind of fell off of his athletic career. And then he's having this weird ass friendship with Kim Jong Un. Yeah. <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> He's got a fixed Grand Cross. Anytime there's a Grand Cross, that's a pretty strong signature in a chart. It's just major tension, but it's the kind of tension that can propel you forward in such a significant way or break you. <laughs> but that Moon in Taurus, Moon in Taurus is so chill mm -hmm. and so stable, actually. But it's opposite that Neptune on the Midheaven, that fame. Mm -hmm. And square, both Mars opposite Jupiter. Mars in the seventh house and Leo being really fabulous and intense and also probably like having a ton of sex. Yeah. And Jupiter opposite in Aquarius is like, that's kind of gambling. <laughs> that's at the casino. Also, he's got Uranus in his seventh house of in Leo along with Mars. I yeah. mean, like, yeah. weird ass relationship alert. <laughs> yeah. Madonna's Leo, Carmen Electra's Taurus. Yeah. So it's like so bad boy signature, which yeah. is like who he was. I grew up in Chicago during the Bulls dynasty and he was the one. Michael Jordan, he's like too perfect Aquarius. Yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> Michael Jordan also has Mars and Leo, but it was retrograde, which is interesting because both have a drive mm -hmm. to be the number one star, the, the Leo of the team. Mm-hmm. But Mars retrograde can't express anger very well, as we know. And he didn't. <laughs> yeah. So if you have people or things or events you want to know the astrology about, please write in. Yeah, we, we may even do a whole goddamn episode on it. <laughs> yeah. It's that exciting. Uh, yeah, email us at clubcosmosradio at gmail.com. It's all one word. Or DM us. Mm -hmm. You know how to You know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, let's talk about cancer season. Let's put a scarf over the lamp and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and put some cookies. Let's in get that cozy. <laughs> cancer season started last week, as it always does on the summer solstice mm -hmm. in the northern hemisphere. We were talking about this, but cancer cardinal water sign mm -hmm. feels weird to be like the height of summer because cancer is so sweater coated. Cancer is so, cancer is so fall cozies. <laughs> they do love fall. 
you know how Ariana Grande always has like the extra long sleeves that yeah. like cover her fingers? <laughs> Yeah. Very that. Yeah. I mean, but I guess they are so big titties in the summer and like, uh, what do you call them? Sundress. Yeah. It's the whole world. It's winter <laughs> in the South. <laughs> True. Fair. Thank you for calling me in. Because we actually do have a lot of Australian listeners, weirdly, oh, yeah, and we, we love, love you guys. guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it is just cozy season here. down there. Yeah, so yeah. representing for a Southern Hemisphere cap- Cancers. Oh, Capricorn as summer? Wow. <laughs> Southern Hemisphere Capricorns, please reach out. <laughs> that is pretty wild. I think yeah. I'm a Capricorn having a summer birthday. Wow. Cardinal signs, as we've talked about in the Grunge episode, Cardinal signs are fighters. They're all fighters, mm-hmm. but they have different weapons and different <laughs> causes. Yeah. Cancers do have a surprising activist streak. Aries are definitely activists. Mars are definitely, I mean, uh, Scorpio, the two Mars ruled mm-hmm. signs traditionally right. definitely have a lot of activism in them. But Cancers also really go for their causes. I love warriors. Yeah, love warriors. They really care a lot. They're the caringest group. Mm-hmm. All water signs are associated with a high degree of emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and intuition. I mean, water is the realm of, of the emotions. Mm-hmm. But cancer has that cardinal identity strength mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as well. Pisces are intuitive in the way of their channel. Their eyes roll back and they're like white and they're like, I have a bit. Yeah, they're yeah. mediums. Cancers are really constantly clocking everyone's emotional state around them mm-hmm. at all times, vis-a-vis themselves. Are you okay? Are you hungry? Mm-hmm. Have you eaten today? <laughs> Let me make you something. Mm-hmm. Cancer always, always has a sense of the room, of the emotional tenor of the room. And whether or not that's something that they want to correct, mm-hmm. improve, is really it's up to them because sometimes they do often they do they're like hmm, someone's having a bad day let me just mother them a little bit <laughs> yeah or it could be like hmm shell time <laughs> yeah that's really smart though framing it in terms of the identity of the cardinal signs because when we were talking about pisces there's a similar sensitivity mm-hmm. there's a similar perceptiveness with cancer and pisces and scorpio too but they all have a different flavor Pisces is so permeable, collective, Mm. interconnected. Yeah. Whereas Cancer, ruled by the moon, is Mm. so bodily. It's so like myself in my body, you in your body. And it really is on a smaller cyclical scale. Mm -hmm. Rather than these big ocean movements, it's just the little tide ruled by the moon. It's cyclical but constant. The cycle is constant. Right. It's not like anything can happen and you're just being swept away. It's very changeable. The moon goes through 28 days worth of phases, but it's regular. It's one of the luminaries. The yeah. Moon. That's um, why I like the emotional intelligence of cancer. I feel contained by it more mm-hmm. than Pisces. Personally, I mean, I have more cancer stuff, but it does have its the parent axis, <laughs> the mommy-daddy axis with Capricorn and Cancer. But a really good cancer, really evolved cancer nature is really aware of the cycles and is accepting of like, these moods happen, Mm -hmm. you will come back around. Or sometimes that Pisces thing, it's just like, where are you going? You're going to spin so far out, there's no other, there's no the only, it's like a circuit breaker kind of thing where it's like, 
they're absorbing too much and then they really just need to like power down and be buried under a weighted blanket. <laughs> Cancers are, are, have more, um, have agency in terms mm-hmm. of directing their flow of mm-hmm. emotion and they can do that for good or evil. Yeah. <laughs> like if you've As ever had a cancer be mad at you, um, <laughs> torture, torture. <laughs> and it is torture. It's emotional warfare, <laughs> the guilting, like in the same way that they can perceive the emotional current of a room, like they can control the emotional current of a room. Mm-hmm. It's like that meme of New York from Flavor of Love sitting in the corner with her sunglasses on and it's like spreading neg- negative energy <laughs> in the room where it's like they can really do that. That's like part of the cardinal thing. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not marching around like a little Aries or swanning or whatever fucking Capricorns do, <laughs> standing still, you feel the the force of them. And we haven't really mentioned like Scorpios in this in this triad of water signs and I feel like they're just so boundaried. They're very perceptive, but they're also fixed. They're more controlling in a way that cancers wish they were sometimes. <laughs> cancers are a little bit more like they're just oozing out their melancholy or yeah. crankiness. <laughs> Whereas Scorpio is definitely deliberately creating some kind of that's the Mars quality. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more fiery and directive. Right. Directive, directive. Mm-hmm. Cancer has a lot of agency, but they don't have the manipulation that Scorpio no. can have. Their manipulation is everybody can kind of see through. It. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Like when we think about the Cancer Capricorn archetype, it's, the Capricorn is totally like the the gangster with the Tommy gun, big suit. Here's how it's gonna go. <laughs> you know, the Cancer is truly a beautiful woman, smeared makeup, tear smeared makeup. <laughs> Wearing a slip and a fur coat, barefoot in the street, holding a gun with shaky hands. <laughs> I told you. You know, that's that's her. <laughs> yeah. They both have an authority to them. Yeah. But Capricorns don't want to feel anything except no. for accomplishment and achievement. And Cancers want to feel that is their wisdom. The difference between Gemini and the overlap between Gemini and Cancer is that in the way that Gemini can retain all the information details, you know, like I can remember everyone's Mm -hmm. chart, (laughs) I can remember everyone's birthday or their rising, but Geminis, notoriously, myself included, often forget what they were feeling. (laughs) 20 minutes ago like I, I can be mad and then be like I don't remember why I was mad yeah. <laughs> she's like who me yeah. <laughs> and cancer I, <laughs> I can't remember sorry cancers have a similar who me quality mm-hmm. but they forget the details and the logic and never forget the yes that's so true but they will remember what it felt like forever and not know what even happened they're just like, oh I remember God. I'm mad at you. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know why, but you hurt me. Yeah. I think there's something really fascinating about cancers, and I'm curious if cancers do experience this or not, where I think some people feel a frustration with feeling like they can't ever know a cancer fully, like mm-hmm. they want to get past this shell. But I, I don't think it's like Scorpio and that there's a secret on the other mm-hmm. side. I think it's just so gooey and liquidy. It doesn't have a tangible yeah, form. Like a soft shell crab. It's, yeah. It's, well, I can't, I'm not hiding anything from you. It's just all feelings. In yeah. Here. They're and like they surfing the current. It's like the thing that feels like they're hiding is just them 
shifting through phases. Right, you know? right. And it's like, there's, it's not like it's unstable, although certainly it can be, but that's just part of their emotional rhythms, like their energetic rhythms as well. It's an, it's a little bit of an ebb and a flow mm-hmm. and that's beautiful. In terms of like where they sit in the in the zodiac family, <laughs> um, traditionally they're associated with the fourth house, which is mm-hmm. the base of the chart where the IC lives, mm-hmm. the your ancestral roots, and there's so much about that. Yes, mm-hmm. they remember everything, but they are carriers of the lineage family. <laughs> Let me tell you something about my family. <laughs> Family is everything to a cancer. Like spiritual home, rootedness. Yeah. Yeah. This might be a good place for a little tarot correspondence. There are a couple avatars for cancer in the tarot. There's the high priestess, of course, which is the moon card, which is channeling (laughs) spooky, Mm -hmm. communing with the great beyond in terms of just like having their little cancer claws up under the full moon and just getting Mm -hmm. downloads from a source that they don't, they can't see and they don't understand. They don't understand rationally. While still having that authority. While still having the authority, yes. But it's interesting in that same way you were describing that gooey side or like that there's not necessarily this like secret person that's behind the cancer. In that card, the high priestess is sitting between these two columns um, with her sacred texts and whatever is behind the columns is veiled. Mm. We can't see it and she can't see it. The, oh, I never noticed The that. great beyond is there. I mean, it's only the second card in the Major Arcana, so there's a lot more work to do before you get to go behind the veil. (laughs) That's where you really get into the Pisces territory and the moon card. But anyway, Cancer's card, Cancer's like specific card is the chariot, which numerologically, we're all going through a chariot year this year. And such a complicated card. It really is. It depicts because it's like very, very layered in terms of intense. (laughs) At least we're we're talking about the rider weight. Very layered in terms of, you know, esoteric little Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depicts this charioteer wearing this armor um, with like the symbols of the sun and moon on it. And he's in a chariot that's driven by these two sphinxes, these black and white sphinxes. And he's basically like leaving the settlement. And so the kind of surface interpretation of this card is about marshalling your will to drive your action and you could apply that in the way that cancers can develop hone and direct their emotional intention to achieve to um like cancers are an ambitious sign as well they're not home fucking baking muffins like it's a notorious ceo signature yeah because they're incredibly good at managing resources but Dig a little deeper into the imagery of the card and you see that this chariot has no wheels and the sphinxes that are driving it are lying down. Mm-hmm. And you realize it's not called the charioteer who is marshalling these wild beasts to like drive it in the direction, mastering his emotions to do what he wants, mm-hmm. to act in the way that he wants. It's called the chariot. It's about the thing that he's in. This is where Lindsay Mack, the tarot reader, um, mm-hmm. she... Her interpretation of this card really busted open my whole brain because she thinks about the chariot as being kind of like a baby tooth, something you grow out of, like something that took you to a certain place in your life, a shell, a vehicle, Mm -hmm. 
but that you need to actually get out of the chariot and start walking in order to get to the next place in your life, which is like the strength card. That's when you're really battling your inner creative Mm. self, the wild beast within and approaching it gently and with fearlessness. The chariot speaks so much to the cancer possibility to get stuck Mm. or like cancer Mm -hmm. capacity to get stuck. It's a very nostalgic card, very, a very nostalgic sign, rather, mm-hmm. can get stuck in these patterns of emotions like, you made me mad and I can't get over it, you know? And I think that also speaks to the cancer capacity of just like, look, you know, sometimes you got to molt, you know, you got to you gotta step out of the thing that makes you feel comfortable and makes you feel safe and secure and like gives you that sense of identity that you can acknowledge has gotten you pretty far in life, or at least as far as you've gotten and move nakedly until your new little shell mm-hmm. forms. It makes me think of Larry Dave, my favorite Larry <laughs> David quote, a famous cancer, when he was being interviewed by Terry Gross about his Broadway play, which I think came out like right before the pandemic or something. But she was like, this is a departure for you doing Broadway. How does it feel stepping outside of your comfort zone? And he goes, what comfort zone? <laughs> <laughs> That is where cancers can get stuck is like they can get really preoccupied with the idea of comfort because they're so sensitive Mm -hmm. with like protection that they can forget how to be courageous Mm -hmm. to move outside of that. That's the stuff that can literally get really obsessed with home and family Mm -hmm. and like the things that are familiar and nostalgia and the feeling of being young, the feeling mm-hmm. of being in the womb, and the right. feeling of mommy mm-hmm. and daddy, and and of course we're never we're never dragging one sign. Every mm-hmm. single sign has every single sign is got us fucked up in one way or yeah. the other. Absolutely, every sign is insane. Every sign is brilliant. Every sign is beautiful. But the cancer part of our chart is really elusive in that way because it's it's really good for knowing. And accepting your emotions, but it's hard to find the growth sometimes. I love that that cancer is ruled by the moon because Mm -hmm. the moon has that similar quality of wanting to know more about it. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, we literally touched it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe it's just dust. Maybe it's got Mm -hmm. ice. Maybe it's not really, maybe it's cheese, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it also has the power to like move the tides and keep us up at night when it's full and literally a control our menstrual cycle yeah it's so powerful and i don't know it protect just, the earth from fucking meteors hitting right. us <laughs> which it, it feels like a really nice symbol for cancer it's kind of a quiet fierce protective directive yeah force it is i guess the last thing i would say about cancer is that you know, how I always think about opposites. Mm-hmm. This is how I understand the world yeah. is an opposite. <laughs> to know both sides helps me know each side. Mm-hmm. Cancer and Capricorn are such a specific opposition in that they are about immaturity and maturity. They're kind of the whole life cycle, in a sense, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Cancer is the energy that we all require for a healthy development as a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, we need that unconditional love and attention and protection and food and love and secure sleep attachment. and secure attachment. And Capricorn is conditional love. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in a way is that it's just as necessary because as we get older, we can't expect unconditional love from everything. It's mm-hmm. unhealthy. Yeah. And you need those boundaries, rules, and conditions to 
know who you are and what your capability is. Both of them, like when they can fall into their weak zones, <laughs> can demand, like Capricorn can demand that no feelings be had. They aren't really right. comfortable if they're, un, you know, if they're in a bad place or if they're like immature or something. Don't love emotions, period. I think even a mature Capricorn has a hard time. Well, with the level of just like emotional exposure or like yeah. being perceived as having an emotion yeah. is never a comfortable place for a Yeah. Capricorn. They're always trying to seem just fine. Yeah. And not just fine. Great. Doing really well. Better than ever. <laughs> yeah. Doing great. <laughs> and cancers sometimes can pull this lever. I am not well. You have mm-hmm. to take care of me. You have to rock me to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> And not only that, the need for validation, emotional validation can be so strong that Mm -hmm. I don't feel good until you feel exactly how I feel, which is what attunement is, like Mm -hmm. motherly attunement. But like in couples therapy, for example, like you can't expect a mind reader. Right. You can't expect someone to treat you like a baby who can't vocalize what their Mm -hmm. needs are. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to do that. And so there's a nice like tension Similar to, like, Gemini and Sagittarius opposition, Gemini can gather information to no end, but if it doesn't do the Sagittarius synthesizing Mm -hmm. and storytelling and philosophizing, it's just, what's the point? Right. (laughs) And if you're only telling the big story with no details, you don't really have a story. So Cancer needs the boundaries, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Capricorn needs the emotions. That's so true. Beautifully said. Okay. Should we name some celebrities and uh, give our recommendations for cancer? Yeah, absolutely. Let's put together our cancer season mood board. Okay. There's some very weird cancers. <laughs> they kind of make weird celebrities. They do. There's some really conventional ones, but then you think of like Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> Love it's him. like, uh, you, me too. It's like the really unhinged ones <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that let their emotions come to the surface in a way that's really Lilo and <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, who's the Hunter S. Thompson? Oh, wow. cancer, which is like. Well, because they have that Harley Quinn streak. It's funny because mm-hmm. we were just texting this week. Courtney Love shared some playlist, but in this little interview on a Days, she revealed that she was originally supposed to play Harley Quinn when, like, Joel Schumacher was going to direct it, but of course, this is like, after Batman and Robin flopped, so he got booted from the whole yeah. project, which is just so <laughs> funny, <Yeah. laughs> but also... She's like, yeah, Harley Quinn, I was so pissed because she was originally, like, the Joker's daughter. So she was going to be Jack Nicholson's daughter. <laughs> anyway. Well, um, Marco Ropi is Cancer Sun and Rising. Wow. <laughs> so maybe Harley Quinn is a cancer. Well, it's like, there's that funny thing about, from, like, Suicide Squad that became a meme for so long that makes me think of cancer, which is, she was fearless and crazier than him. She was his queen. And God help anyone who disrespected his queen. Yeah. It's just like with all these other like couples, like it was like this meme structure, but yeah. it really makes me think of cancer. <laughs> Smeared lipstick girlies. Yeah. Maybe. But I have to say, I knew a can like, and literally she did have smeared lipstick and was wearing a fur coat in this incident. I knew this cancer girl uh, in my 20s who was dating one of my friends. But there was this, I threw a party at my house. She was drunk and and really emotional. Um, Their relationship was having problems. My roommate and I basically like walked her out of the party, walked her to her car, and it's uh, not drunk, emotional, really emotional. 
walked, which makes the, the sobriety of it makes it even weirder. Um, walked her to her car. We're just like, okay, you know, you need to go home and just work it out. Okay. She drives away. She went, she was truly like her face had melted. She'd been crying all night. We're mixing around at this party. We turn and she's back laughing and laughing. Make, <laughs> makeup completely fixed. Vibe completely changed. It was just like, how did she get back in here? How did we miss her this whole time? And why is she completely dizzy? It's like, oh, nothing. Oh, did you just put me sobbing into a car? No. This Must have been someone else. This is the, this is the side of cancer that is really good in horror movies. Yes. The way they can switch emotions on and off and just go all the way there mm-hmm. and then pull it back in a way that's just so spooky. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> like one of my, I'll just say it because it's relevant, but one of my recommendations, two of my recommendations, but one is Kathy Bates and Misery. Oh, fuck yeah. Extremely <laughs> cancer, Kathy Bates. Misery, the the nurturing mm-hmm. gone wrong. <laughs> and also Karen Black, who, you know, mm. she's like famous for five easy pieces and easy writer mm. and stuff, but she's in all of these B horror movies. Like have you seen Mirror she, Mirror? No. Mirror Mirror is a very new movie. It's not a it's not yeah. a great movie, but it's well, basically <laughs> it's a, like from the early nineties and it's about this mom played by Karen Black. And her goth teenage daughter, and they move to L.A. after her husband, Karen Black's husband dies, her dad. And then um, they move into this house, and this mirror is haunted <laughs> and takes over both of their brains. And Karen is, like, this obsessive, grieving mother, and this goth teenager is taking revenge on bullies. And, like, <laughs> it takes over their house. I love um, it. It's very gory, but... Karen Black is very, like, eyes always watering, oh, just terrified yeah. and emotional and so feminine, seductive, helpless at the same time. Love it. Very cancer. Yeah, definitely. Another wreck with that summertime sadness. Um, yeah. <laughs> Lana. Lana yeah. Del Rey. I mean, honestly, poet. Tess of our times, yes. greatest songwriter of our generation. But also, I just love how Cancerian she is. And there was a debate for a minute because she's like so cuspy. She confirmed that she was a Cancer because her birthday is like right on that Gemini mm-hmm. line. How could she be anything else? I know. We haven't even talked about the most toxic Cancer of all, America. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. And July um, Americana, nostalgia, Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. quarantine, grenadine, blue jeans, fucking <laughs> mm-hmm. red lips, like all the whole world, image world that she creates and like this vision of this vulnerable and unhappy and unwell and sometimes toxically happy in situations she knows are terrible world. This, this representation of this feminine archetype that just, it doesn't necessarily have a a positive lore, but she built one Mm -hmm. and not that it is even positive. I mean, in the same way we were talking about Courtney last week, it's like the feminists don't really know what to do. Yeah. She can say like the dumbest shit that you've ever heard every once in a while and just be problematic and have feelings and her music just, woo. What's that fierce and fragile Mm -hmm. combo. It's a funny sign being right before Leo because it is dramatic. Yeah. Oh, Oh, 
But, oh. it, but it's not necessarily the contained uh, strength. I'm I'm willing the lion's jaws open with my strength. Right. Leo, like, I'm on stage. Yeah. It's an unintentional drama. Yeah, but no. It's, it's, it's a psychodrama. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not something that is calculated or controlled or controllable in any way. But, um... Do you want to go? Do you have a segue one? Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren! He's one of my favorites. He has so many sad emo songs <laughs> that are kind of berserk, but he has a particular kind of cancer style that is so funny. It's not necessarily nostalgic, but sometimes it is just wearing things that are familiar and comfortable of a very particular feeling. Mm-hmm. All very intentional. And now he lives in Hawaii with, like, these insane Hawaiian, like, <laughs> memorabilia closets, <laughs> which you should look up. But it, him and Phoebe Buell and Liv Tyler, all cancers. Wow. Liv Tyler, beautiful. Cancer Sun, Cancer Rising. So beautiful cancer beauty. Such a cancer. And Todd Rundgren signed her birth certificate because B.B. Buell didn't want Steven Tyler to be the dad because he was addicted to drugs and it was a brief affair. Liv Tyler, you know, like, had her weird, creepy (laughs) revelation (laughs) relationship with Steven Tyler. yikes. But she still is very loving with Todd Rundgren. And they all have Earth moons, too, I think. It's a very cancer family. I love that. But, yeah, Todd Rundgren, I love. That's so good. Um... On a similar tender cancer note, just beautiful, beautiful man, beautiful films, Wong Kar Wai. Ugh, so cancerian. He has sun and moon and cancer. His movies are just so poetic, sensual, sexy, but he also, it's funny because he has Venus in Gemini, which is mm-hmm. so, the way that these passing relationships that are mostly on the surface appearing platonic, like In the Mood for Love, of course, is probably mm-hmm. his most famous film. But this happens in Chungking Express and Days of Being Wild. These passing relationships, which is like, I associate as the Gemini side, because they're also a little bit quirky, like, um, I'm going to break into this guy's house and like clean it every day. (laughs) That's how we're going to have this love relationship or our partners are having an affair with each other. We're going to start a radio play (laughs) long and yearn for each other. Very Gemini, but like the mood is so, ugh heartbreaking and crushingly and gorgeously cancerian where it's like they're also in these nostalgic places they take place in like a time that is Mm -hmm. just like a a time in the past in his early movies or like a kind of indeterminate future time a feeling space a feeling space yeah exactly an emotional realm a dream realm and just like the way that these emotions reverberate and haunt and Feelings are so real. The facts of the relationship are one thing, which because he shows both. He shows how a simple or a a brief interaction with somebody can just change your life and haunt you forever. And it's so beautiful. Poetic. I I love him. Beautiful man. I I have to read this excerpt (laughs) of Proust. Proust is the most original cancer boy boy. He also elicits the same kind of obsession with people wanting to know everything about him mm-hmm. and him seeming elusive, but really there's documentation of every aspect of his <laughs> life, but people are like, we still don't fully know who he is. 
And he, he kind of is like, you know, gets the reputation of being sort of fussy or fragile. Or <laughs> well, like, he lived in a cork room. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, he probably People was. People know a lot about his life because he stayed in the same place. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, like his essay on the telephone when it first came out, he was, it was so like melancholy and it's like, it just, I just, my Venus and Cancer loves him and it. Swan's Way is what I'm going to read from, mm. which, of course, has a famous Madeleine teacup mm-hmm. scene, but that's such a perfect illustration of how nostalgia can, like, sweep up this mm-hmm. whole feeling of this house and place and mm-hmm. mommy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wanted to read this one description of the house and mm. all the nostalgia. And so it was that for a long time afterwards, when I lay awake at night and revived old memories of Combray, I saw no more of it than this sort of luminous panel, sharply defined against a vague and shadowy background, like the panels which a Bengal fire or some electric sign will illuminate and dissect from the front of the building, the other parts of which remain plunged in darkness, broad enough at its base, the little parlor, the dining room, the alluring shadows of the path along which would come M. Swan, the unconscious author of my sufferings, <laughs> the hall through which I would journey to the first step of that staircase so hard to climb, <laughs> which constituted all by itself the tapering elevation of an irregular pyramid, and at the summit, my bedroom, <laughs> with, the, with the little passage through whose glazed door Mama would enter, in a word, seen always at the same evening hour, isolated from all its possible surroundings, detached and solitary against its shadowy background, the bare minimum of scenery necessary, like the setting one sees printed at the head of an old play for its performance in the provinces. To the drama of my undressing, (laughs) as though all Cambrai had consisted of but two floors joined by a slender staircase, and as though there had been no time there but seven o'clock at night, I must own that I could have assured any questioner that Cambrai did include other scenes, (laughs) and did exist at other hours than these, but since the facts which I should should then have recalled would have been prompted only by an exercise of the will, by my intellectual memory, and since the pictures which that kind of memory shews us of the past preserve nothing of the past itself, I should never have had any wish to ponder over this residue of Cumbrae. <laughs> to me, it was in reality all dead. Wow. <laughs> so I, yes. I just love how it illustrates this absolute stubbornness to keep the feeling memory. Yeah. He was really influenced by Bergson, which we talked about yeah. last week in yeah. terms of like introducing a subjective dimension of time. Uh, even on that structural level, it's like the stream of consciousness writing mm-hmm. style, like these sentences that just unfold and unfold and unfold and unfold sentences that go on like whole paragraphs. And mm-hmm. it's like, and, 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 and like mm-hmm. this like insistence of this flood of words in the way that it's the same flood of mm-hmm. images. It's beautiful. Love him. It's interesting, though, compared to someone like Virginia Woolf, who obviously does a similar thing, she's always doing it about her whole crew of people mm-hmm. or the whole, like, city or, like, it's very Aquarian mm-hmm. in that it's perceiving it from the sidelines in a weird way, whereas he's getting so lost in the memories and the details and the sensory emotion of it, and it's, it's really fun. 
for someone who likes cancer. <laughs> well, I, on a similar note, I have nostalgia just generally. Um, yeah. <laughs> do it being nostalgic, doing something nostalgic, yeah. going back over your old photos, looking at something that makes you feel that Proustian way, mm -hmm. because nostalgia is actually really good for you. Here, I'm going to read a little excerpt from this New York Times article because originally, even in the name nostalgia, <laughs> not to be so Don Draper about it, <laughs> the pain from an old wound, um, yeah. but um, it was assumed to be like a sickness, basically. And in our, like, you know, our culture where it's always like, moving forward, get over it, onwards and upwards, stop crying about what happened and just keep soldiering on yeah um nostalgia is assumed to be a bad thing for us but it's actually really great for us so i'm gonna read this little excerpt nostalgia has been shown to contra counteract loneliness boredom and anxiety it makes people more generous to strangers and more tolerant of outsiders couples feel closer and look happier when they're sharing nostalgic memories on cold days or in cold rooms people use nostalgia to literally feel warmer. Wow. Nostalgia does have its painful side. It's a bittersweet emotion, but the net effect is to make life seem more meaningful and death less frightening. When people speak wistfully of the past, they typically become more optimistic and inspired about the future. Oh my God. I love that. Capricorn, not Capricorn. Jesus Christ. Cancer <laughs> brain hack. <laughs> Be nostalgic wow. and you'll act more like and feel more like a loving, sweet cancer. That's such a beautiful correlation with the body literally having an emotion warm you from the inside. So cancer. <laughs> so cozy. Wow. I have, well, there are a ton of painters mm. who are cancers. Yeah. And I feel like that maybe is a little bit of paint being this medium of indescribable goo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's also, it's nostalgic, it's historic, it's romantic. And a lot of these painters are very narrative, too, mm -hmm. in a way that feels kind of cancerian. Gustin, Chagall, Klimt, Andrew Wyeth, Frida Kahlo, David Hockney... Artemisia Gentileschi. I never knew how to say that fully. <laughs> she has a great painting yeah. at the Getty, though. Klimt just broke the auction record today, I think, for $94.3 million, which Rich is interesting. Which cancer vibes. <laughs> yeah, very cancer season vibes. His, his is always so, like, blanket. <laughs> yeah. And hugging. Blanket patterns. Embracing. And kissing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Andrew Wyeth. I don't oh, yeah. know if it's like my haunted Midwestern aesthetic, <laughs> but it's just so... You see those fields and say... Yeah, I mean, it's not even Midwestern really, right? It's like Maine, but it's just so spooky. Mm -hmm. And he has this one painting called Christmas Morning, which <laughs> I love Christmas, <laughs> but um, it doesn't look Christmassy at all. It looks really scary. <laughs> it's like... I'm going to look at this. This black and white portrait of a person in bed looking out this window but it's like this dreamscape of haunted snowy it's creepy it's like oh a ghost. yeah weird but i love it <laughs> yeah i mean obviously also frida kahlo, frida kahlo so too. cancerian yeah. and so much about the mystical and challenged relationship between the body and self mm -hmm. really all of these yeah <laughs> true and I just wanted to mention Susan Pitt, who I love, and Asparagus, the, oh. the animation. She does a lot of different animations. Asparagus is like her main thesis of a project for her whole career, but it's really beautiful. 
it's really sensory and emotional and an internal landscape of nostalgia and and just psychedelic and cool yeah like yeah I've never seen anything like it if you have the Criterion channel it's like maybe 20 minutes or, or even less it's on YouTube too oh watch it what run don't walk yeah. um I have this documentary, which I'm obsessed with, which my little sister just reminded me of because we watched it together years ago, mm -hmm. um, by this Cancerian documentarian, Russ McElwee. It's called Sherman's March. He's got mm -hmm. Sun, Mercury, and Venus in Cancer. And it's basically like, a, I guess, a documentary version of autofiction or something like that, where it's like, uh, he's from South Carolina, and he sets off to make this historical documentary about General Sherman's march through the South. Well, it's it set, let me figure out what year it is, 1985. Just basically like the lingering legacy of the Civil War in his hometown. But at the very beginning of this documentary, he gets dumped by his long-term <laughs> girlfriend. And he starts recording that process of him just kind of reeling from it. And there's like a lot of voiceover, very diaristic. But so he goes back home and he's like kind of simultaneously filming this historical documentary about the roots of the Civil War and like how it just still lingers there and talking to like all these elders and how it like still exists in the psyche of everyone that lives there, which is on the one hand, so cancerian and then he's also just interviewing ex-girlfriends and meeting these really groovy ass like sagittarian babes that he's falling in love with as he's making this documentary and just documenting these failed romances and flings that he's having with these other girls along the way as he's in this kind of high fidelity style pursuit of like the answer to why he like can't find love at last it's just so funny it's got so many incredible personalities in it. Like, it feels very much like a Maisel's film or something like mm -hmm. that, where you're just like, whoa, this person was born to be on film. Yeah. And it's just so Cancerian, navel-gazy, wonderful. Sherman's March. I love when cancers get vulnerable in their performance. That's the bravery. Yeah. If you've got the cancer and you can put it out there, you will win people over. <laughs> um... Some other random cancer recommendations. Wendy Williams. <laughs> How you doing? Yeah. So good. We just a big campy, booby, emotional, crying, yeah. hilarious, messy angel. <laughs> we wish her well. Yeah. Um Fleetwood Mac is very uh Mick Fleetwood and Christine Mc we're both cancers. Stevie has a cancer venus. I mean, yeah. I'm like, what's what's Sisters the deal with the moon? Yeah, hello, <laughs> Rhiannon. Anyone? Yeah. Um, all the witchy side. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other one I was going to mention is that Elizabeth Kubler Ross is a cancer, and she's famous for her book on death and dying, but especially for defining the five stages of grief. Oh, wow. Which is very. It is pretty genius to normalize breaking down that kind of emotion into a whole cycle of... It gave people so such a vocabulary for articulating yeah. one of the most complicated emotional phases that a person can be in. Cancer! I know, and honestly, when I read the five stages of grief, I'm like, oh, this is the five stages of cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. <laughs> Um, my last one is the food and lifestyle writer MFK Fisher, 
who she is just like, she's as Cancerian as it fucking gets. Sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Neptune, North Node, all in Cancer between the third and fourth house. She was a food and lifestyle writer, kind of one of the first people to like fill that public role. Like she had a uh, some columns, like starting uh, in the teens and 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but she wrote so many amazing books, like, and her prose is just so beautiful. One of her cookbooks from 1942 is called How to Cook a Wolf. Mm-hmm. And she just has that strength in terms of just like that self sufficiency, where it's these recipes that are about very humble meals and ingredients, but finding still just the joy of providing food and cooking food. And she has this beautiful quote in that book that is, you can still live with grace and wisdom if you rely on your own innate sense of what you must do with the resources you have to keep the wolf from sniffing too hungrily through the keyhole. And she just has so many incredible quotes from throughout her career, like no yoga exercise, no meditation in a chapel filled with music will rid you of your blues better than the humble task of making your own bread. Yeah. And one of my favorite things that she's written, which is so Cancerian, is probably one of the most private things in the world is an egg before it's broken. Mm. (laughs) Love her. Yeah, that book is great. All of her books are so great. Yeah, there's so much about the frugality and self-protection in a shitty time. Yeah. And just like, there, I have one more quote from her just because like, she just wrote so much and had so many Mm. beautiful things to say, but this feels so Cancerian. Looking back on her career, she's saying, I am more modest now, but I still think that one of the pleasantest of all emotions is to know that I, with my brain in my hands, have nourished my beloved few, that I've concocted a stew or a story, a rarity or a plain dish to sustain them truly against the hungers of the world. Mm. Ah, We love you, Cancer. Yeah. Where would we be without them? Hungry. Yeah. Should we leave it at that? I feel like that's such a good ending note. There are so many other funky cancers, but... Oh, MFK. Yeah. MF Doom. MF also Doom. cancer. <laughs> Cut that. No, keep it in. It's important. <laughs> it's kind of nice in a midsummer vacation droll to yeah. take on the cancer spirit. Bake, a, bake some bread. Bake some bread. <laughs> Cry it out. <laughs> Club Cosmos Radio is created by Kristen Stegemuller and Malia Croy. Follow us on Instagram at Club Cosmos Radio and send your burning astrology questions and hot topics to us at clubcosmosradio at gmail.com. <laughs>